0: Right or uh, she's way out of your league and she's calling you, right? And you're like, Ugh. or maybe he's way out of your league, but you know, let's be honest. <laughs> and you don't know, you're not sure what you're gonna do. So you know what? This is great. I, I don't know why this is happening, God, but I know you're present in the midst of this, right? I know you're working. Uh, or there's a, you hit a temptation, right? There's there's some kind of a temptation, and you're you're thinking to yourself man, every fiber in my being is convinced that this thing that I want to do is going to be good for me. But God, you said it's not, and so I'm going to trust you, and it's not, even, it's not even a question, right? It's not even a battle of wills. Like, you just, you know that God is real, you know that God is personal, you know God is with you, and so you just, you obey, and that's it, right? Imagine how your life would be different if you had no fear about what was coming next, right? If you didn't worry about your kids, or you didn't worry about your relationship. Those things didn't cause you anxiety not because you know you just live on easy street but because you had such a deep faith that God was with you and that God loves you and that God is already at work in all of these circumstances. How how would your behavior look different? How would your life look different if you just knew those things in your bones? We've met people like that, right? Maybe it was like your grandma or maybe it was someone in a church where you grew up. And anytime you meet people like that, there's a big part of us that wants to put our arm around them and say, buddy, uh, you should try living in reality with the rest of us, right? But then there's another secret part of us, a deeper part of us that is really jealous. That sees, because, because they don't seem delusional, really, they don't really seem out of touch, like they seem like they know what's going on, but it's, it's like they can see something else too, right? It's like they, they have some kind of other sense of something deeper, something bigger that's going on than just the things that we can all see, right? And it's, it's that sense that gives them this, this peace, this faith, That's what I want to talk about today this this idea of this big faith. What would our lives be like if we had that kind of big faith? What would our church be like if we had that kind of big faith? What kind of impact would we be making on our communities, on our families, on our world if we all had that kind of big faith? And the good news for us is that God wants to lead us into that kind of a big faith. Okay, there are not two kinds of people in the world super spiritual people and us, right? There are not just some people that just have that and everyone else you know, kind of gets to be jealous, right? That's not how it works. God wants all of us to have that kind of a big faith, to know God and to know that God is always with us and that God loves us. God wants us all to have that, and we get there. We develop this big faith. Not There's not a checklist of here's five five, you know, secret shortcuts to the faith you've always wanted or something like that, right? We get that by Being aware of the God who is already with us, who is already working. That's the good news that we're going to see today, is that God is already working in your life. God has already put the things in your life that will grow your faith, that will lead you down the path to this kind of big faith, they're already in your life, because God has already put them there. And so what today is about is not so much learning a whole bunch of new things we need to do to earn God's big faith but rather to begin to learn how to pay attention to the God that is already with us, who is already working, and to receive this God's love and to allow God to grow our faith. So we're going to begin this morning by worshiping this God, by celebrating this God who has come to us, who is already at work in our lives, and who is inviting us to have a big faith. Would you stand with me as we begin singing together? The series that we are beginning today is called Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And so this, this whole series is all about that big faith that I was talking about earlier. How, how do we get that big faith that, that has full confidence that God is with us, that God is personal, right? That, that God is always working in every circumstance. What, what does it look like to grow that kind of a faith? Uh, faith, is, faith is really what the Bible is all about. If you go back all the way to the very beginning of the Bible— Right, the first story where God creates the world and puts a man and woman into the world, the first sin, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you haven't read that in a while ago, it's Genesis 1 through 3, the first sin is, is ultimately a failure of trust. Okay? There is a rule that is broken. Right? God says, don't eat from this tree, and then they do. Right? But the reason that they do is because they don't trust God. They're convinced that God is holding out on them right, that, 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 that what God has said is best for them is not really what's best, and if they can do their own thing, then they'll be better off. So it's a failure of trust. That's where, that's where the whole thing kind of goes off the rails, and the whole rest of the story of scripture is a story of God working to re-establish that trust, right? So it's, it's not, we get this wrong all the time. We think that, we think that religion is about uh, uh, obedience, right, following all the rules, doing all the things that God says, but it's not. It's ultimately about trusting God. And you see that as you move through the scriptures, right? When you get to the Exodus story, God doesn't give Israel the law until after God has freed them from slavery, right? God demonstrates that God is trustworthy, and then God says, please trust me, right? here's, Here's the way to life, right? See what I've done for you, will you obey? Right? In the exile, when, when God's people are conquered, right? it's the prophets again and again and again keep coming and saying, if you were trusting God, things would be going better. If you don't start trusting God, things are going to go badly. Please, 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 things are getting really intense. And pe- people don't listen. They're convinced that if they, do their, uh, if they do politics their own way, right? if they do religion their own way, if they, do, uh, if they kind of build society in their own way, that it'll be better than following God's way. So they do it their own way. They don't trust God and things fall apart. The New Testament is all about God reestablishing trust with us by, by coming to earth as Jesus, living a life of faithfulness, and then allowing himself to be killed and raised from the dead to demonstrate that he is trustworthy. And then, when he gives us a new law, the only thing he says is, this, the new law I give you is, love one another the way that I love you. Right? So it's not about, hey, I got a new list of rules for you. It's about calling us back to a relationship that is at the heart of reality. Right? Faith is ultimately about relationships. It's about trust. And again, you know this, right? If you think about it, if someone's like, hey, have you heard from your spouse yet? And you say, no. Well, are you worried? No, because I trust them. Right? Trust is at the heart of, of a healthy relationship. When you're suspicious that's a sign that things are wrong, that there's a lack of trust somewhere and that that's really the deeper problem, right? So God is not interested in our obedience. God is interested in our trust, in our faith, right? And, and again, you know why this is. You can compel obedience, right? Like ask people to live in dictatorships. You can compel obedience. You cannot compel trust. You cannot make someone trust you, right? Trust has to be grown, over a long period of time in the context of a relationship. That's the only way trust happens. And when trust is broken, it takes a long time. You can't just like flip the trust switch back to on and oh, everything's fixed, right? Trust takes a long time to de- develop and to grow. And what God is interested in is not our, our obedience, it's our trust. We get it backwards all the time. We, we say, if, as long as we just do all these things that God told us to do, then our relationship with God is good. And it's like, no, 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 that's not necessarily true. You can actually do all of the things that God says to do and have a really rotten relationship with God. Not really trust God much at all. You might be just obeying because you're afraid of getting zapped or you know, losing your job or something like that, right? You might, you might be doing all of the right things for all of the wrong reasons. So God is mostly, primarily, interested in our faith in our trust, in restoring that relationship. Because once that relationship is healthy and whole, all that other stuff follows it. And again, we've seen that pattern. That's the pattern of all of Scripture. So today we're going to look at a story where Jesus encounters someone that you wouldn't think would be very faithful. And yet this person amazes Jesus with his faith. And in fact, it's the only time in Scripture we find that someone amazes Jesus with his faithfulness. Right, so this is a big deal. Right, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. If you grab one of the free Bibles out of the back, you can find that on page 581. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. We'd love for you to consider that a gift from us. Uh, now, as you're turning or clicking over to Matthew chapter 8, uh, right before the story we're about to read, Jesus has healed a leper. Lepers were considered unclean. They had a, a skin disease that people didn't really know how it happened, and so you were, if you were a leper, you're supposed to live outside of town and not let anyone touch you, and it, you weren't allowed to come into the temple or a synagogue to worship, but basically you were separated from God and from the community and all of that. And this leper approaches Jesus and says, please heal me, and Jesus says, okay, and he grabs the guy which is a huge no-no, right? He grabs the guy, and rather than Jesus becoming contaminated, Jesus heals the guy with leprosy. It's a beautiful story, okay? This, then, is what happens next, when Jesus meets another guy who, if you can imagine it, was probably even more disgusting to the Israelites than this leper. It's a Roman centurion, Okay, now, Rome was occupying Israel at this time. They had conquered Israel and they were living as an occupying force. So there were you know, Roman garrisons filled with Roman soldiers all over the country. And Roman soldiers didn't have a lot of um, rules, I guess we should say, right? They had oversight. This guy was an overseer. As a centurion, he was in charge of a hundred soldiers, like century, right? So he had they had oversight. But if, if a Roman soldier insisted that you pay a fine or a fee, or a tax, or a toll, or whatever, and it was, you know, supposed to be five shekels, or whatever, and he decides it's ten shekels, because he's going to pocket the extra five, guess what? Now it's ten shekels. If they wanted to force you to carry their pack of gear, they could. They could just say, hey, you, what were you doing? Oh, I don't care. Come over here. Now your job is to carry my pack for up to a mile, right? So, so, Israelites lived in fear of these Roman soldiers and they were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They were foreign occupying force who was living in God's country, ruling over God's people instead of of God's chosen king. So they were a daily reminder of the people's unfaithfulness to God. And as you can imagine, the people hated them because they were actually afraid of them, right? And the hatred was covering the fear as so often is true of our hatred, Right? So this, this centurion now, he's not just your run-of-the-mill Roman soldier. He's, he's one of the commanders. He is an extraordinarily powerful man. This guy, on the heels of Jesus healing a leper, approaches Jesus. And just try to imagine for a moment, you're one of the disciples, kind of standing behind Jesus, a mate, like still trying to process what you saw where Jesus touched the guy you're not supposed to touch. And he, you just kind of, jaws on the floor, right? And then you look, and here comes not just a Roman soldier, but a Roman centurion approaching are right? like, what are you thinking right now? Probably you're afraid, right? What's he going to do? What's he going to make Jesus do? Is Jesus in trouble? Is he unsafe at this point? Let's go ahead and read, beginning in, in verse 5. So when Jesus turned to, returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer, this is a centurion, came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, if you're the disciples, and this soldier comes up and he says, hey, Jesus, please come and heal this servant of mine. They were probably thinking, ooh, another Roman's about to die? Good. Right? One less Roman in the world, one less Roman in Israel. Great. And then Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. Now, we are like, well, yeah, of course Jesus is going to go to his house because Jesus is the best, right? But they were scandalized, right? They had not gotten the memo quite yet about Jesus and how he loved everyone and how there was no one who was unclean for him, right? So when Jesus says, okay, I will come to your house, now again, this is a huge no-no, not just because the Romans were the evil occupiers, but because they were Gentiles. A Jewish person, uh, Gentiles were basically on the same level as lepers. Like, you didn't eat with them, you certainly did not go to their homes. So should it have surprised them that after Jesus touches a leper, he wants to go to this Gentile's house? No, no. But again, it took them a while. It takes us a while, right? So Jesus says, yes, I will go to your home so that I can heal your servant. And then watch what happens next. This is so cool. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come inside my home. And the quietly disciples were like, this, right, right? <laughs> quietly enough, they couldn't be heard, you know, but they were like, they, they were making pointed eye contact with one another being like, hmm. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So, again, we're we're not terribly surprised that the disciples would think, well, yeah, of course this guy's not worthy, right? Right? But why would the Roman think that about himself? I mean, they're Rome. They're the most powerful empire in the world, and this is some little backwater country that they really only care about because it has strategic value, right? It's kind of in between them and their, their neighbors next door. So that's the only reason they're even there in the first place. Like, no one in this day cares about Israel except Israelites. So how could a Roman centurion think, well, I'm not worthy for this Jewish man to come to my home? Again, not surprised the Jews think that, really surprised a Roman would think that, right? Well, and he says, though, he says, it's because I understand authority, right? It's because he's seen what Jesus has done. He's like, look, if I tell my soldier, I'm like, hey, go over there. They go over there. They don't ask. They're not like, well, why? They just go. If I say, stand outside that house and guard it until I get back, and then I don't come back for three days, they're going to do everything they can not to fall asleep and stay there and guard it just because I said so. Right? I get, I understand, because when I speak, I'm speaking with, to my soldiers particularly, I'm speaking with the authority of Rome. Right, I have this, this power, this force behind me that is authorizing what I command to make happen. And so it's in many ways Rome's, Rome's authority, Rome's power that is enacting the reality that I command. When I say go, it's not just me, it's Rome. Is that, and I'm, I've been watching you. I hear the stories about you. Demons obey you. Illness obeys you. Disability obeys you. Weather obeys you. I know what command looks like. I know what authority looks like. And so when I see what you command, I understand that whatever power is behind your commands must be greater than Rome. Because I can't command those things. I can yell at the rain all I want, and it keeps raining, right? I've begged my servant to get well, and he's still sick. But you, you can do this. His faith is based on what Jesus has done. His faith is based on what he has seen and what he has heard Jesus do. And so here's what Jesus says. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and this is that moment, no one else has amazed Jesus like this man. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, which you can imagine how that hit them, right? This who, this Gentile, this Roman centurion has better faith? faith that amazed you when no what we left everything we we quit our jobs, right? We left our families behind. We've been following that that doesn't count? Apparently not. Not like this Roman centurion who believed because of what he saw Jesus do. Now, again, we get this backwards, right? We think That faith is something that we earn. So if we, you know, do all of the right, everyone has like a spiritual checklist, and they all, you know, they look a little bit different, but it's kind of all the same stuff on them, right? And we just do these things, then God will love us more, or will, you know, earn something or, or, or whatever. That faith is something that we have to get better at, and we have to like exercise our faith muscles so that we can grow in God, right? But this centurion, his faith grew because he observed what God did, right? He didn't come to Jesus, and he was like, look, I'm a, I'm a Roman, and uh, I went ahead and got a Torah scroll, and I've been trying to learn Hebrew, and like I, you know, I, I've memorized seven verses so far. Is that enough for you to heal my servant? And Jesus is like, normally it's 10, but uh, you're just starting out, so I'll make an exception. Like, there's none of that. The man observed what Jesus did, and he had faith. His faith grew because of what Jesus had already done, because of what Jesus was already doing. And so he made a big ask. <laughs> Don't even come to my house. Just, just speak from here. Like, do the Wi-Fi healing, right? <laughs> and I believe, because I've seen what you did. I know what you can do. Faith grows, our faith grows, when we can see what God is doing already. Okay, not when we earn enough points in the faith bank to get God to do something, right? But faith is that God is already at work in our lives, already doing things, already at work in the world around us. And when we begin to see what God is already doing, our faith grows. So the question is then, well, how do we spot what God is doing? And there's, there's a million and five ways to spot what God is doing, right? But for this series, for the sake of this series, we've identified five ways that God works in our lives. Five consistent patterns that and these are not like, again, there's not like a list in the Bible somewhere where someone listed these out or something like that. But if you just talk to people who have that kind of big faith, and you just ask them to share their story of their relationship with God, these five things kind of just keep showing up over and over and over again. And again, not in the same order. It's not like level one, level two, level three, or anything like that. It's just that these are five ways that it seems like God works consistently in our lives. And so I'm gonna go through them with you real quick, but then for the next five weeks, we're gonna really dive in deep on each one of these and ask the question, if God is already at work in our lives, how can these lenses help us see what God is doing so that our faith grows as a response to what God is already doing. So uh, we may, they all start with P, you're welcome. They're a little more memorable that way. It really helps me as a preacher, right, to, to be able to remember these things. But the first one is practical <coughs> teaching. Okay, practical teaching. There comes a point in everyone's faith journey where they understand that God is inviting them to, to trust him, to follow what God says, and they do it. Right? They, they understand that the, the Bible is not just some 2,000-year-old book, that actually God wants to be involved in our lives now, that God has ways that are good that lead us to life that we can follow now. And then we do those things, and our faith grows. Right? So it could be the first time that you realized what it really looks like to respond to someone who's angry at you, with love instead of with anger back. And you're like, I don't want to do that. What I really want to do is, you know, either get on my keyboard or text or whatever. I want to just light them up. I thought of like the best comeback, right? But instead, instead, you say God is pretty clear that we don't respond to like with like, that we respond with kindness, with gentleness. And so I'm going to try that. And instead of making things worse, it makes things better, and you go, wow, God might know a thing or two. But really, all kidding aside, your faith begins to grow. Because you notice that it wasn't just about what that other person received from you, it's also about what happened inside of yourself, right? And your faith begins to grow, and you think, okay, I think I, think I can do this Jesus thing, right? I think, I think I can follow, because it's all of a sudden become practical, engaging to me. Practical teaching, that's one one thing God uses to grow our faiths. Another is providential relationships. Again, you talk to people who have been in faith for a long time, and they'll tell you, there'll always be a, a person. They'll say, well, you know, and then I met so-and-so. Right? Maybe, maybe I married into a family. Or maybe someone moved into the cubicle next to me at work. Or maybe it was someone in the carpool group. Right? Or, I, you know, someone, you know parent, another parent in the stands at the kids' sports. Whatever. I met this person, and... You know, when I look back, it's so obvious that God brought them into my life. At the time, I didn't realize it, but looking back, it was providential, right? There are these providential relationships that God uses to grow our faith. The third one is private disciplines, okay? Again, this, one, this one's tricky for a lot of us, and this, this is the one that feels the closest to a checklist, so just resist that urge, folks, all right, but when we begin to create space in our own lives to hear from God, and, and you know, you, uh, those of you who have been at Catalyst for a while, you know, we kind of highlight five private disciplines. We call them spiritual practices, right? Reading scripture, prayer, fasting, keeping a Sabbath day, giving, right? These are five ways that we kind of come together as a community, and we sketch out that these are, these are ways that when we do these things in our lives, it creates space for us to hear from the Spirit. It creates ways for us to learn to lean on God more. And when you begin to do these things, not, specifically not, to check a box or earn spiritual brownie points or something like that, but when you begin to do these things out of obedience to God and trusting that when you make space for God to do these kinds of things, God will transform you and grow your faith, it begins to happen. Private disciplines grow our faith. Again, not because we're filling up the spiritual bank, but because Uh, the prayer retreat that I went on a couple weekends ago, the the priest that was leading it said it this way, you can't be more generous than God. When you make space for God, when you give God your time and your attention, God will outgive you. That's why. That's why private disciplines transform our faith. Uh, The fourth one is personal service. And again, many of you in here know this. Catalyst is a serving church. We have folks involved all over the place. But when people begin to serve, they're transformed. When you begin to, serve, kids ministry especially, when you serve in kids ministry and you th- everyone thinks they're like, I don't know anything about anything. I don't want to end up you know, turning these kids into heretics and endangering their faith because I said something crazy and whatever. And then you get back there and you do it and you realize that when you serve, you become more like God because God serves us. And when we, when we serve, uh, whether that's in our church or in our community, whether that's a neighbor or a coworker or whatever, when you serve, You begin to grow. God uses that service to to grow your faith exponentially. And then the last one is is, uh, pivotal circumstances. And again, this one's probably, if you were to make a list, this would be the one that most of us would get right away. Because all of us know that in your faith journey, there are those key moments. And sometimes they're they're tragedies. Sometimes they're, they're successes. But there are these big moments that kind of disrupt your ordinary life, right? They knock you out of your routine for whatever reason. And oftentimes when you hear people's faith journey, it's because of one of those kind of moments that God became more real to them, right? Or faith became more real. So practical teaching, providential relationships, uh, personal disciplines, or private disciplines, personal service, I always get those two mixed up, right? Private disciplines, personal service, and pivotal circumstances. These are five catalysts that God uses to blow up our faith, to make it bigger, to help us see that God was already working in our lives all along. So for, again, for the, next, for the next five weeks, we're gonna spend time looking at each one of those and diving in deep on them because our conviction is this. We are not asking God to show up in our lives, right? We're not saying, oh God, I feel alone and you're way over there, please come here. Right? Our conviction is that God is already at work. Jesus is already doing things in your life whether you see him or not. And the first movement of faith is to see that God is at work, to recognize that God is already with you, already working, and that whatever separation exists between me and God, that's on me. Again, maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I've put things in between me and God. Whatever it is, God is already with me. God is already at work. And the first movement of faith is to respond, to acknowledge that. So we're going to spend the next five weeks asking, how do we get better at seeing God at work? Because we all want to be like that centurion. Who's like, Mr. Christ, I've never met you before. Uh, I don't know anything about you really. But I see what you do. And because I've seen what you do, I have full confidence that I can make this crazy request of you. I saw you touch the leper, but I want you to just speak and heal my servant who's like, you know, probably in another town or something like that. That's the kind of faith that we want. That's the kind of faith that transforms every aspect of our life. And it, it's, such, it's such powerful good news that we don't have to earn that. There's not, uh, you don't have to get a seven-year degree in big faith or something like that from big faith you. Like there's, like God, God wants you to have it. God is inviting you to have this big faith. Exactly where you are, exactly as you are. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to get better, right? I mean, again, if, if, if a Roman centurion can have it, that means we can have it. If a leper can have it, it means we can have it. All that is required of us is that we would respond to God. That we would open our eyes. That we would see. Maybe since it's a dreary rainy day, we should say, we would wake up. Right? Wake up and see that God is with us. See that God is working. And when we begin to see what God is already doing around us, our faith begins to grow. So I want to invite you to the communion table today. Because it is at the communion table that we are reminded again and again and again that God is trustworthy. When we come to the communion table, we're coming to the the table that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed. To share in the meal that he shared with them, where he broke bread and offered it to them as his body, saying, take this and eat it. It's my body broken for you. After the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he passed it to them saying, take this and drink it, it's my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When we follow Jesus to the cross, we are reminded that he did everything that needs to be done. He handled everything that needs to be handled. And so we can be reminded that our faith begins here, not with what we do, but with what God has done and with what God is doing our lives. So you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion today. If you're someone who is willing to respond to what God is doing in your life, if you're willing to say yes to God, if you are willing to begin to look for what God is doing in your life, then you're welcome to come forward today to participate in this, in this supper with us. Before we pray together, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of examine. And I want to do a couple of things. Uh, you might have noticed the tree on the wall on the way in and you might notice that on several of the seats there are these little uh, circular leaves. Uh, If you want, during this time of reflection, to write, uh, and you might have already, you know, had an element uh, of one of those five things or a a person or an experience in your life that you know is a way that God is growing your faith, you'd like to write on there, Um, you can leave it on your, we'll kind of decorate the tree with all those. If you want to hang on to one and wait as we move through the series, do that too, you can as well. But I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. And give you space to reflect on where you've seen God in your life, and also where you might have been ignoring God in your life. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Think about the week that brought you here. Think about the week that's ahead of you. And then after we have prayerfully reflect on those questions, I'm going to say a prayer for all of us. And as you're ready, you're welcome to come forward to the table. So here's the first question I want you to think about. Think about the week that brought you here. When in the last week did I trust God? There's a time you can point to where you said, you know what, yeah, that looked like a a time of faith for me. Maybe it was big faith like the centurion. Maybe it was small faith. Either way, that's okay. But when in the last week did I trust God? I went in the last week that I struggled to trust God. It was an area of my life that I just ignored God's presence altogether. Was there a situation that's made it difficult for me to trust? Now think about the week that is ahead of us. Uh, When in the next week might you struggle to trust God? And finally, how can I be on the lookout for those big faith catalysts this week? I've got to be watching for what God is doing in my life. Watching for God's presence with me. let's pray together. God, you have gathered us here uh, this morning that we might hear this incredible good news, uh, that when it comes to faith and faithfulness, there is nothing that we need to do or earn uh, in order to participate in, in your life. Brother, you have done all of those things, and all you ask of us is that we would respond to you, that we would say yes, that we would see what you, how you are at work in our lives. And we confess that, that far too often uh, we do not attend to your presence, whether because we don't know uh, what you are up to, we don't know how to look, or because uh, we've filled our lives with so many things that we tend to, to get too busy to watch for you. And we have seen this morning in the story of this hated, feared, unclean Roman centurion that what amazes you is trust we want to be a people of big faith. We want to be a people that gets really, really good at seeing where you are at work in our lives. We want to be a people who is confident that you are always with us, always working in every circumstance for our good. And so we come to your table this morning to receive grace from you. As we receive these wafers and this juice, we ask that you would uh, make them to be a spiritual food for us that our eyes might be open to the impossibly infinite number of ways that you are at work in our life every day and that our faith might grow and grow and grow and grow. We offer these prayers this morning and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. And finally, uh, giving you a bit of homework. Again, if you did one of these, uh, then you can leave that or take it with you, that's fine. Um, but my my assignment for you this week is I really want you to think about your own spiritual story. And again, you may be you may be not even sure about this whole Jesus stuff. So you think your spiritual story is pretty short, or you may have been a Christian for like 150 years. That's cool too. Like everyone everyone's got a spiritual story, right? And that means that God is at work in all of our lives. And 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 far too often we just don't see it. So my my assignment for you this week is to to, to write down some of your spiritual story, to think through it, uh, to tell it to somebody else. If you're in a C group, that's where you're going to be talking about this week, right? Share your share your spiritual stories and begin to look for some of these faith catalysts. Can you pinpoint moments when your faith really took a big bump, right? And, and it was it connected in some way to one of these things, to practical teaching or to some kind of a providential relationship or to a personal discipline that you started doing or, or some way that you were serving, right? Or some kind of a pivotal circumstance, right? Is there... What has God already been doing to grow your faith? Practice looking at what God has already been doing in your life because it'll help you as you look out into the future to see where God is at work in your life right now to continue to grow your faith. As you go this week, Cattle, would you go knowing that God is with you, that God has invited you to a life of big faith and that your first job is not to do or to earn but just to wake up to God's presence in your life. Go knowing that God is with you and that God loves you. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.